This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Tuesday, February 22nd. A quick look out at the markets today, and we can tell that the drumbeat of war is growing over there in Eastern Europe over the past three days. Of course, the markets haven't been trading. President's Day was yesterday, and there have been some developments over there along the border between Russia and the Ukraine. We'll discuss those in great detail here with Peter Zion in segment number two. He is a geopolitical expert, and he keeps close tabs on what's happening over there. We're going to talk in segment three about what's going on in Brazil. The weather during Brazil's harvest, which is happening right now, continues to be moving our markets, even though it might be taking a backseat today to those Ukrainian issues. We'll talk with Corey Melby about just what farmers are encountering as those combines roll across the Cerrado and the soybean fields of Brazil. But first, we're going to talk markets. Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk joins me this morning. Garrett, soybeans are the big mover today are they moving on the ukraine russia tension line yeah i think you've got a general rising tide lifts all ships type of thing <clears throat> even though the the ukraine the ukraine russia situation is, is it really has nothing to do with soybeans um but you know when you've got the real crops rallying wheat and corn rallying soybeans have no choice you know what <clears throat> the interesting thing is, is we opened up last night we have corn 10 higher we have beans 20 higher and then we wake up this morning and, and beans are up only four or five cents. Um, you know, it, it, the bean market struggled while the, the feed grains were strong. Well, now we get into the day session and, and the regular trading hours and, and the fund money or the, 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 the technical and the fund money uh, are, are back buying beans. But you look at the, the, what's going on out here. We did have a flash sale again this morning. Uh, we had uh, 132,000 tons of, of new crop beans to China for 2022-2023. And then we had a wheat sale, 120,000 tons of hard red wheat to Nigeria. Uh, 60,000 was for 21-22 and 60,000 for 22-23. But um, I think that, you know, the bean market is, you know, it's interesting that we're rallying here, actually leading when, when it's really a, a corn and wheat story. Um, I'm, our sources are saying that, the Chinese crush margins aren't that great, uh, to be honest with you. In fact, that there's some plants in the north that are going to be shutting down for a month, um, and that because of these higher prices, the slow arrivals from Brazil, <clears throat> that sort of thing, that there's actually some soybean tightness there uh, where the crushers can't source beans to begin with. And then you see this morning that China's going to auction some beans from state reserves. So uh, I think what's you, you connect the dots there. I mean, I think that uh, you know the Chinese crush margins are struggling because pork prices are under under pressure. Um, they have slow arrivals of beans, and that's driving the prices of beans up domestically. Uh, their bean basis rally considerably, and the government's trying to help out here and, and fill the gap until some some more cargoes arrive uh, by by offering some beans from state reserves. So you know, that, in my opinion, you know the the pork crush margins. Um, you know, if they do shut down those plants, that's fairly bullish to the veg oil. And I think you saw bean oil was actually fairly strong, even though soybeans sold off here this morning. But now, now that we're back into the regular trading sessions, we've got beans up 25, 27 points, 27 cents, excuse me. We're only three cents off the highs here. Corn is still off its highs. We went up and I have a technical resistance area up towards 668 that we went and tagged and, and saw some selling there. And we're still about eight cents off the highs. But you know, this, this, it'll be interesting what Peter has to say because, um, you know, this Ukraine situation remains extremely fluid. Um, there's more to it than just, uh, you know, wheat exports. You've got a pipeline into Germany. Um, you know, it, it's going to be very interesting what happens here with, you know, troops moving in and, and uh, um, you know, just one mistake or tensions being high could lead to war. And we're not at war at this point, you know, it seems, but... Uh, you know, the market's just the amount of money that's in this market and just the fact that we have these kind of tensions, the market's amplified and any type of move like this will cause a reaction like we're seeing. 
Yeah, and these reactions, Garrett, they are not subtle. As you mentioned, corn is up big. That 668 that you're watching for a target in the corn market, is that the March contract or the May contract you're keeping an eye on at that it's level? Actually, it's, a, it's a daily continuation, but it's, it's a daily continuation. It's actually a resistance level back from uh, February of 2021. It's a trend line from that that area. But if you get above this, you get above that 668 area in here, there's really nothing between here, you know, 675 and $7 for resistance. So... And Garrett, new crop corn, we've nosed back up above that $6 mark in December 2022. It's still so earlier in the year. Is this a time to be pulling the trigger on some sales? Um, you know, we're getting into the, we, we're, we've we got a week left on the spring crop insurance pricing period. I, I think $6, I, I like, you know, you know, quarter cent increments. Uh, $6 is going to work regardless uh, of what your input situation is, I believe. Um, so we are going to make some sales here, <clears throat> but um, even though it is early in the season, I think a lot of I don't want to be complacent about things. I don't think that um, you know this time last year, in, inflation, as far as the Fed was concerned, was transitory. I don't. It's on everybody's radar <laughs> now. Uh, I don't think it's going to surprise anyone. So um, I would be a little bit more defensive as far as things are concerned, especially once you get in the growing season. But um, I would always have something protected against it if you do make a cash sale, because I do think um, you know beans are probably going to be buying the majority of the acres here. So that's going to be a surprise for you know there could lead to a surprise for corn in either March or June. So, um, you know, it I just feels like one of these reports, one of these acreage reports or planting reports are going to uh, provide some sort of surprise where there's going to be potentially a leaning to one side and, you know, a have and a have not situation sort of thing. And, and I think that the, the, the demand situation is, is strong enough for, for, for both markets that we can't really have a big flip flop one way or another. That makes sense. Garrett, I want to turn our focus back to the hog market. You touched on the Chinese pork profitability has collapsed here over the past year. And yet we look at lean hog prices in this country and holy cow, those summer months are still steaming towards a buck 20 here in lean hogs. Do you think that weakness in China could spill over into domestic lean hog pricing? Uh, I think you're looking at two different things. I mean, you've got the, 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 the Chinese market is trying to recover um, from the, the, the African swine fever, um, the U.S. market is, you know, you look at cash and you look at, you know, the way the market is reacting, you know, so some people believe that the, the, the hog inventories are smaller, uh, are smaller than what the hogs, hogs report showed. Um, and I think ultimately we're dealing with a fairly widespread uh, domestic situation here. So um, I know that a lot of people were looking going home Friday of potential highs or, uh, or they're looking for the toss in this hog market, um, the way that the, the, the technicals were set up going home on Friday, and they were looking for potentially a big down market today to confirm that. But, you know, hogs are up $1.30 to $1.50 today. I think that negates this uh, you know, potential bearish chart pattern here. And, uh, you know, at this point, it, it doesn't seem worthy to, to fight the trend. Sometimes the trend is your friend, and Elaine Hogs, that trend is moving upwards. Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk. Garrett, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us on this volatile market this morning. Thanks for having me. And folks, stick around. We'll talk to geopolitics with Peter Zion when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you. 
And we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA. You know, we talked in the first segment there with Garrett Toy of Ag Trader Talk talking about the volatility in the markets. Now it's time to dive into just what's causing that volatility. Garrett mentioned the tensions between Russia and the Ukraine. They got a little hotter over the weekend and joining us to help make sense of what the situation looks like on the ground over there on the border. Joining me next is Peter Zion. Peter is a geopolitical expert. He is a well-regarded speaker and a fantastic author. I read his book, The Accidental Superpower, about America's geographic advantages in the world, and it changed the way I view our situation here in the world of global trade. So I'm very excited to have him on. Peter, thanks for joining us today. No problem. Great to be here. Let's talk about just what has developed here over the weekend between Russia and the Ukraine. We had a lot of back and forth at the end of last week. Russia's removing tanks. Now the Ukraine says they're not. And now things are heating up. Peter, what is the situation on the ground? Sure. Uh, Well, let's start with the diplomatic situation and then we'll go to what's on the ground. Uh, The Russians have been looking towards Ukraine for well over a decade. In their view, the only way that they can secure the Russian heartland and the agricultural zones where everyone lives is if they expand through Ukraine right up to the Carpathians and plug the gaps between the mountains and the seas uh, in order to concentrate their troops and forward deploy. That's their bottom line for why they want Ukraine. Uh, Diplomatically, uh, it appears that the rumors that we heard during the Olympics that the Chinese had asked the Russians not to invade during the Olympics, because if you look back in the last 12 years, they've invaded somebody on every Olympics. (laughs) Uh, It looks like that was true. Uh, So all the diplomacy that we've been seeing going back and forth for the last two months was simply just stalling for time while the Russians got things into place. The day after the Olympics ended, they rolled. Uh, The specifics on the ground. Back in 2014, the Russians spawned secessionist wars in a couple of provinces in southeastern Ukraine by the name of Luhansk and Donetsk. Uh, These areas were relatively pro-Russian at the time, but there was no sign of militants in the 
when the Russians started, but now they've been armed with Russian anti-aircraft weapons, Russian tanks, Russian special forces troops, Russian training, Russian intelligence, and they were able to functionally break away about one-third of each of those provinces. And the area we're talking about here combined is roughly half the size of Nebraska. Uh, last night, Putin formally recognized these two breakaway areas as independent. He called them allies, and as allies, he's sending troops in. So we don't know how many troops just yet. We're certainly talking about the thousands. It'll probably end up being tens of thousands before the end of the week. Uh, the next logical step, because the Russians under Putin have done this before, is that they will now say that uh, these separate states don't control all of their own territory, and the next stage will be an invasion of Ukraine proper to basically grab the other two-thirds of the provinces. Okay, this sounds real. We've been speculating about how this oh, yeah. could play out and how the international world could react if Russia started making moves like this. Well, they've started, Peter. Are we already hearing reports of sanctions? Are there any broad-based moves against Russia from the international community as of yet? From the, from the Western world's point of view, this what's going on right now is kind of the worst-case scenario from a diplomatic standpoint. Because the Russians formalizing the function, the, the basically their, their land grab from seven years ago, uh, really didn't move the needle because it doesn't change anything within Ukraine itself. Uh, the, the step that will probably trigger a better, bigger reaction will be when the Russians move out of these two little enclaves into Luhansk and Donetsk proper just to take the whole thing. Uh, that is probably what is shaping up to be the red line, if you want to use that term. Now, the, the sanctions right. we have so far are, are limited. They're basically against anyone who has anything to do with these two separatist enclaves. The single biggest step that anyone has taken has been the Germans, and they have canceled uh, the pipeline project that would have brought natural gas under the Baltic Sea to Germany. Peter, what does that mean? We've heard a lot over the past six months about the challenges of getting fertilizer produced in Europe. They don't have the natural gas. Prices have been high and very volatile. With the cancellation or the closing, I suppose, of this pipeline, what does that mean for A, European power generation, and B, uh, are we going to see more fertilizer tightness in the world? Well, the short answer is yes, uh, and Russia is only a piece of that. Now, Nord Stream 2 is not yet operational, so the Germans are still getting their gas from Russia through Ukraine proper. Uh, a functional war in Ukraine would end that because either the Russians will shut it off or the Ukrainians will shut it off. Uh, one way or another, the natural gas that's flowing into Europe is not going to be there much longer. Uh, you're absolutely right that we're seeing high energy prices in Europe, and natural gas prices there are roughly seven times what they are here in the United States. And because there's been a slowdown in global investment into oil and gas in the last seven years for unrelated issues, uh, we know that those prices are going to stick around for years. It takes three to eight years to bring a new natural gas field online. So if they reverse the investment patterns today, you're looking at these prices in Europe sticking around at least until 2025, and that assumes nothing else goes wrong. And there's a whole lot of other things going wrong uh, in China. Uh, we've got a, um, what's the best way to phrase this, a disaster looming with COVID. Uh, the Chinese vaccines don't work, and so zero tolerance for COVID is the only thing they can do. They can't open up. So they're not able to guarantee people's jobs anymore, so they're looking for other pillars of legitimacy. It brings us to food security. Well, you may have heard that uh, the Chinese had to call two-thirds of their swine herd in the last three years. They're attempting to rebuild it, but that requires any scrap of food they can find from anywhere. So they're importing anything just to feed the hogs. Well, the Chinese know that they can't get rid of swine flu that easily, so the only food product that's left that they can make secure is rice. Well, rice requires phosphate fertilizers in large quantities, so the Chinese have barred the export of phosphates. So China was the world's largest supplier of phosphates, Russia is the world's largest supplier of natural gas. That's already two pillars of the fertilizer community that are in danger. And the third one's potash. And the world's largest, I'm sorry, the world's second and third largest producers of potash are Belarus and Russia. So almost no matter how this plays out, we are looking at tightness in fertilizer markets for all types. We're just at the beginning of this process. 
We're just at the beginning, Peter, and it is a it's whiplash inducing trying to watch these uh, these issues as they fight back and forth. You touched on China, and as we think about Chinese demand going forward, I've heard some folks growing very concerned about the slowdown in the Chinese property sector, pro- Chinese real estate, because apparently that's how the Chinese government funds itself, or at least the, the regional offices. Is that true? It's not quite that clean, but you're on the right track. So the, the local governments do get some funds from Beijing, but if they want to do anything above and beyond that, they have to raise their own money. And there isn't property ownership in the way we think of it here in the West, where you know you, you pay something for your property to the government every year. Uh, so they, their primary source of funding themselves is land sales. Now, there's two things going on here that that feed into the property situation. On the one hand, China doesn't have what we would consider a normal banking sector. Here, if you want to do something and sow a field or buy a house or a car, you, may, you take out a loan, you have to show that you can repay it, and you have to offer, offer collateral, so if you can't repay it, you lose the collateral. That's not how it works in China. In China, they shove a bottomless supplies of cheap, of cheap credit down the throats of anyone who can offer employment because the primary goal of the Chinese government is to keep people happy. And if they're employed, they're happy. Well, that generates a lot of economic activity that probably shouldn't have happened. Think about what happened here with subprime. Subprime affected a total of $45 billion of the American property market, putting people who probably shouldn't have owned homes into homes. And when that fell, we experienced the subprime crisis. China has done that on a much larger scale, not just in housing, but for every economic sector they have. The second big piece is demography. China's population is in collapse. 40 years after the one-child policy, they've run out of 30-year-olds. And we are looking at a population that simply cannot procreate enough to continue the existence of China as a country in the long term. Now, in the shorter term, we have a very different demographic structure. There are more people in China in their 40s and 50s than there are in their 20s and 30s. Well, when you're in the 40s and 50s, the kids have moved house, you've paid for the house, you have extra capital. All that money is being plowed into the property market because it's seen as a better store of value than any other asset within China. So we've got this bottomless supply of credit and this investment surge meeting at the property sector, but no one's living in any of those houses. And so we're seeing something that's about two orders of magnitude worse than subprime, but without tenants. Oh, okay. There is going to be a lot to digest here as this matures. We will be sure to get Peter Zion back on and pick his brain. Peter, thanks for joining us. And folks, stick around. We'll be talking to Corey Melby about the Brazil harvest when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america don't go away more aoa coming right up oh nice engine supercharged yep high porosity and aggregates yep porous medium for gas exchange Uh uh-huh microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen check check and check Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So, when was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, grain and energy markets continue higher on the news that Russian troops have invaded parts of eastern Ukraine, separatist regions of eastern Ukraine that Russian President Vladimir Putin has declared are sovereign states. Crude oil prices set a fresh seven-year high overnight. We backed off that a little bit. We're still up $1.93 a barrel at $93 even this hour. 
And really, watching these ag markets as the ag's mostly higher on fears that buyers of commodities from the Black Sea region will seek alternative sources due to delivery fears as fighting escalates in the region. This situation we're watching very, very closely as it continues to escalate and we start to see sanctions imposed on Russia from various countries around the world, including the United States. Now, also watching uh, more export sales on the books here today, 120,000 metric tons of hard red winter wheat to Nigeria and 132,000 metric tons of soybeans to China for new crop. The hard red winter wheat sale to Nigeria was split evenly between old and new crop as well. Taking a look at numbers, March corn right now up 9,663 at a quarter. July quarter bait and a quarter, 655 and a quarter. March soybeans up 26 and a half, 1628. July up 24 and a half, 1625 and a half. March bean meal up 510 a ton, 453. March bean oil up 151 points, 6908. March Chicago wheat up 14,811. March Kansas City wheat up 28,55 and a quarter. March spring wheat eight higher, 968 and three quarters. Hogs are higher April up 147-110-87. Feeder cattle are lower. March down 7-165-35. Live cattle higher February up 72, 143-97. April up 85, 146-72. The Dow Jones down 210 points. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a lot to talk about today, and we are going to be talking about what is happening down in Brazil. Corey Melby of Brazil International, longtime Brazilian resident, joins us on the show today. And Corey, as you think about what is happening down there in Brazil, combines are running. Let's talk first, what's the quality of the crop coming off the ground there in the northern parts of Brazil? Last week was a tough week. Uh, it basically rained every day, at least in Mato Grosso uh, last week, so not much got done. Uh, we've been seeing some uh, terrible looking um, images of some sprouted beans, much like last year at this time, same, same thing. Um, that happens because a producer wants to kill or desiccate the crop as, as quickly as he can to get the second crop corn in. And the risk is always, okay, you put the, uh, you put the desiccant on and then it rains for seven or 10 days. And these intacta varieties tend to sprout much more quickly than old conventional soybeans. Uh, that's their dilemma at the moment. Uh, we've got some quality problems uh, for sure. Corey, as you're talking to producers up there and you hear about these quality problems, do you have an idea on the percentage of crop that's being impacted? Are we losing two or three percent to sprouting or are we talking 10 to 20 percent to sprouting in the field? I think it'll be the lower numbers. Uh, last year at this time, again, it rained like 600 millimeters in spots uh, last year at this time at harvest time last year, which gets to be 20, 25 inches of rain in a month to give you some perspective well it just it boggles the mind that, that a combine can even travel and and yet you can plant behind the, the soils take the moisture very well uh the thing is with 
sprout or mold damaged beans is historically watching this over the last 10 years during during wet seasons you get the impression that millions of tons are going to disappear and from my experience even in these intense extremes years wet harvests it only ends up being hundreds of thousands of tons is the net result of loss so long story short the drought is much more serious than quality issues today but it that does makes... have insult to uh, injury yeah yeah absolutely especially for those producers who thought they were looking at, at the best bean crop in brazil now it's falling apart at harvest i'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate to that but corey you talked about the drought let's turn our focus to the south southern brazil paraguay and argentina the drought is it improving are you hearing from folks on the ground that say they're getting a little more moisture there's been some rains yes but actual harvest results have not been getting any better which quite surprise, surprises me, quite frankly. Um, I hear of cooperatives in Western Paraná that, that normally pull in, um, you know, 45 to even 60,000 sacks uh, per day uh, in a normal year. They're, they're, they're pulling in 15,000. Well, right there starts to tell you the, 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 the degree of loss. It, it's significant. Uh, another little data point, Rio Grande do Sul, we need to be careful with these, these uh, farm organization uh, numbers, but April Sorja, which tends to exaggerate in Brazil a lot, has the Rio Grande do Sul soybean crop down at about 6 million tons. Well, we started out at 20 million plus. I don't believe that number, but that's what's out there. That's what local farmers are hearing and that's why they're going to be so um, uh, closed-handed. They're not going to sell whatever beans they have very easily. They're waiting for higher prices. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And the trend is on their side. Corey, before we go too much farther, you mentioned that uh, these Brazilian growers are, are hauling in sacks. That is how yield is measured down in Brazil. For our listeners up here that are used to working with bushels, t tell us a little bit, how much is a sack of beans? What's it weigh? And, and what's the pricing look like in the cash market down in Brazil right now? 60 kilos. So 132 or 2.2 sacks per bushel. So 132 pounds. Uh, just remember 2.2 or whenever you hear sacks, just remember 90% of that number is bushels per acre, simpler that way. Um, back to uh, pricing, Western Paraná has a bid yesterday of 190 reais per sack, all-time record high, up 25 reais a sack just in the last two weeks. Uh, Long story short, this, this is what's causing the, the, the premiums to go crazy like this. Interior crushers are paying the same price as port these days. Uh, I don't know if we've ever seen that happen before. We need to bring northern beans south to Paraná and Rio Grande do Sul, where the crush capacity is installed more so, and the animal numbers are hogs hogs and chickens uh, this is a this is a demand pull all year until brazil gets new crop again or imports a little either from the united states or from argentina later in the year to porto alegre rio grande do sul they don't know where the beans are going to come from it's too expensive to ship them from north to south uh contacts i have say brazil will import beans uh when it when it makes sense and you mentioned those internal crushers with the demand they're they're seeing and the ability to pay record cash price in in the country of Brazil. Uh, Corey, thinking about their demand audience, are, are, is there really enough livestock speed, livestock demand down there in the southern parts of Brazil to justify paying these prices for for bean oil and bean meal? Yes, uh, there's no between the uh, the need for soybean meal for for feed rations and and livestock prices are also at basically record high prices in the country. So there's no slowdown from the demand side. Plus, uh, we have B10 uh, biodiesel in, in Brazil. It should be B13, but it's at 10 percent at the moment between that and 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 uh, the, the bean oil demand. Uh, these crushers have have margin to to burn yet, and that's why they're being very aggressive to get 
higher quality beans from the north. It doesn't have to be that far north, but but even Goiás here and, and southern Mato Grosso, where the beans are very nice, uh, they just need that for blending material for all of this droughty, shriveled up, low test weight stuff. Uh, they need to try and make, you know, lemonade out of lemons. Uh, that's why the bid is there. That certainly makes sense. And as you think about where they're going to get that bean supply for internal crushing, obviously, of course, they're looking across the Parana River to Argentina. Corey, is the situation improving in Argentina as combines start to roll? Do you think we're, we're going to be pleasantly surprised with what comes out of fields down there? Or is the number just going to keep moving down as we get closer to harvest? Oh, very good question. Right across the river in northern Argentina in the province called Corrientes, uh, terrible drought, fires every day. So obviously they, they've lost their crop. But as we look over into that um, core growing region of Santa Fe, Cordoba, Western Buenos Aires, you know, I've, I've seen everything. I, I, there are some very nice soybeans in that core area. So as long as they can get a drink here, have gotten a drink, will get a drink, I think the Argentine situation has stabilized. Um, but still, we're, we're talking, if it's 38 or 40 or 42 million tons, use 40, that's still 10 million tons less than we thought back on December 1. Again, all of this adds insult to injury for the whole continent. And that's what has grabbed the, the market's attention here. Let's focus on safrina corn, the crop that is going in after these beans come out of the field. Obviously, those heavy rains you mentioned, planters can still run. They can still get that crop in the ground. How's it shaping up this early in that second crop season? Matagrosa's in fairly good shape. Uh, you know, the, the cutoff window for maximum yield tends to be about February 26th, they've told me out there through the years. Maybe technology can skew that these days. But uh, Mato Grosso is in that 70, 75% planted of, of second crop uh, area, record area, I might, I might add. Um, with the rains that they've been getting and the subsoil that they have, uh, keep in mind, some of that first corn that was planted, uh, you know, a month ago, it's waist high today. Um, I'm, I'm being a little bit too uh, simplified here, but, you know, some of this corn doesn't even need any more rain. It'll be just fine without any more rain. Now, yes, at pollination, they should have a shower or two. But I know that soil. Um, if it's a good clay soil, you know, uh, half the crop is damn near already made in Mato Grosso. Um, uh, as long as they can get this last 10, 20% in, it'll be a hell of a crop. And Corey, domestic demand, the internal demand for corn in Brazil, does it look like it's going to stay strong for the remainder of 2022? Very strong. Uh, solid feed demand, the, the constant new uh, corn ethanol uh, demand of uh, 8, 9, 10 million tons a year now and, and growing. You know, uh, of the second crop that, that's said to be 85 to 90 million tons, you know, uh, which there's no reason why it can't be that uh, with, with, this, with the moisture we have. Um, you know, over, over 60, closer to 70 million ton between feed and ethanol is already spoken for. So um, uh, will Brazil export 35 or 40 million tons of corn this year? I, I don't know. It's going to have to be a big crop for that to happen. Um, there's extra, but uh, the internal demand is red hot. It's uh, corn is $8 a bushel in, in, in southern Brazil today. $8. And they'll stand in line to buy, pay for that all day. Uh, it's all right. Well, that is good to hear from Corey Melby down in Brazil. Folks, stick around when we return. Jesse Allen of Market Talk will be joining the show. We'll talk about what's moving in the market. Stick around for AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus... 
with the way this year has been going? <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We 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 are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Jason Berkland, Senior Associate Vice President for Risk Management with Nationwide, about Grain Bin Safety Week. Jason, why is it important to focus on grain bin safety this week? Yeah, so there's a lot, you hear a lot of stories about farmers and grain handlers being entrapped and unfortunately the loss of life. And so this week is really a campaign and awareness to get that advice out on do we have to enter the bin? How do we enter the bin safely? And we don't want to just focus on the third week in February being Grain Bin Safety Week. This campaign week is to bring forth the awareness of all year round, we have to think about grain bin safety and do we need to enter that grain bin. Jason, what else can farmers do to improve safety outside their grain bins? Yeah, so there's a lot of moving parts around a grain bin. You have augers, pulleys, conveyors, uh, PTO shafts, everything running, um, trying to load or unload that bin. And you need to have the guarding in place. And once you think about just your own safety and guarding around things you're going to be operating or, or moving around while they're operating, then you need to start to think about who else is going to be around there. Are there going to be kids around? Are there going to be others uh, around helping? Um, we, you know, want to talk specifically about uh, family members and kids around operating equipment and around grain bins. It sounds like fun to help mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, relative, neighbor out on the farm. That really needs to be made sure that it's age appropriate and that they can handle the tasks that we're being asked of them to do and they know the hazards and safety around that task. Jason Berkland, Senior Associate Vice President with Nationwide. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership by visiting cooperativeownership.com. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. 
Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in to the program today. You know, we just finished speaking with Corey Melby of Brazil International talking about the challenges being faced there in South America. And he mentioned the fires happening in Argentina's northern province of Corrientes. Well, I, I did a little searching. Bloomberg, in fact, has, excuse me, Reuters, I should say, has an article about the fire in Corriente province uh, up today. And these fires are nothing to sniff at so far in that one province alone over 800,000 hectares of land, so close to 2 million acres, have already been burned. That's an area twice the size of Rhode Island. And remember that Corrientes province is, is one of the grain-growing areas of Argentina. This is one of the places that drought is hardest hitting, and that is causing some grain searchers from around the world, grain importers, to take a look and try to find alternate places to source grain. And one of the places they're turning to is the United States, our own Jesse Allen host of Market Talk on the American Ag Network joins us today. And Jesse, we're continuing to see exporters look around the world. It seems as though they are looking more and more to the U.S., aren't they? They are very much so, Mike. And I found this interesting this morning on the Daily Wire. We saw hard red winter wheat sales to Nigeria and that's not somebody we normally see come in on the export front. One has to wonder if that's maybe an early indication of some business we could see with the Russia-Ukraine conflict going on. We saw soybean sales uh, from China once again, and, and we're wondering when will corn sales possibly pick up. There's a there's a lot of folks really watching the export front here very closely in the U.S. just with everything going on uh, around the globe, Mike. Yeah, there is lots of stuff happening. And even though we're seeing more buying come back to the U.S., they are still shipping full speed out of Brazil. There was a note uh, this morning that ADM, so uh, one of the, the big four of the grain traders, ADM announced they have shipped out the largest soybean shipment on a single vessel in history at the Ponta de Montanha Grain Terminal, TGPM, in the northern city, uh, northern Brazilian city, rather, of Bacarena. They shipped 84,000 802 tons on a single vessel. That is a lot of beans moving out of Brazil. And Jesse, it's got folks thinking as we look ahead to this planting season here in the U.S. about the fertilizer markets. We've been talking about this story for some time. Now with the tensions rising in the Ukraine, energy prices are moving up. What are you hearing on fertilizer? Well, I will say this. I spent some time yesterday at the Northern Corn and Soybean Expo in uh, Fargo, North Dakota. Got to talk to Josh Linville of Stone X. I know you've had Josh on the show before. And uh, I brought up this uh, many topics with Josh around fertilizer. And we got on the topic of acreage. And I said, are, are folks looking at switching acres You know, due to fertilizer prices? How's that all factoring together? And he said he's hearing that conversation change every single day and i know you're going to be talking fertilizer on wednesday's aoa uh, more in depth as well but josh really provided some good insights on that we continue to see prices at highs and one has to wonder it's going to vary on various factors did we see fall application of fertilizer that's going to determine if folks stick with corn or if we see some acres switch to soybeans and you know another thing too with that fertilizer front you think about wheat and we think about here in the northern plains Spring wheat going into this growing season, a lot of talk of will we see spring wheat, will we not see spring wheat, will we see more soybeans, uh, you know, there's a good amount of fertilizer that goes into wheat as well uh, in planting, so there's a lot of talk on the acreage battle. I heard from quite a few folks uh, that there could be more corn acres even in some of these uh, northern regions versus soybeans and wheat. And I think this is just an ever-changing situation. When you look at the price of fertilizer, you look at the issues with Russia, Ukraine, you, you just look at whether the drought concerns heading into spring or the, you know if we've been able to get moisture. There's, there's so much surrounding this, and I think this uh, acreage battle, the next 30 to 60 days, it's really going to heat up. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens, Mike. Yeah, it is. And Jesse, you know, speaking of heating up this cattle market, live cattle talking fat cattle, boy, you look at a chart of that market and it is a shallow but a definite upward trend stretching back over the past year. We've got cash cattle trade now strongly over 140 bucks. Jesse, as you think about this week and where consumer demand sits, are you optimistic or are you talking to brokers and traders who are optimistic about where cattle could go from here? 
I, I am very optimistic. I think there's been more optimism in, in the cattle market versus, say, the hog market. Yes, the hog market's been on a tear lately, but one has to wonder, this is a very overbought market, whereas cattle, you know, things are looking a little bit more on the bright side there. We see domestic demand continue to be good, uh, export demand good. We also have to keep in mind, with everything going on with the avian influenza worries uh, across the U.S., now, will we see some of that demand from, say, chicken and turkey switch over to beef and pork? And I think the next few months ahead, it's going to be very interesting to see how this all shakes out. I am hearing from a lot of traders that they're they're thinking that maybe there's a little consolidation right now in these cattle markets, but still very good value, good pricing. And, and it'll be uh, very interesting to see moving forward where we go. You look at cattle on the board today, a little pressure in feeder cattle with the higher grain prices, but Live cattle turning around here as we've worked through the morning trade so far. And some of that might be spillover strength from a hog market that's on a tear again. But I think uh, there's a little more optimism out there for cattle versus, uh, say, the hog market right now, just because the hog market's so overbought. Absolutely. Jesse, you are the host of Market Talk. Can you tell our audience where they can find that and stay tuned in onto what's happening here in the markets? Yeah, markettalkag.com is where you can find out more information. It's also uh, linked via the American Ag website, americanagnetwork.com. And we have uh, a show posted every afternoon and uh, look forward to talking uh, with the team from agmarket.net this afternoon. We'll have a lot more uh, when it comes to uh, everything going on with Russia, Ukraine, and uh, just what is going on, the general feeling and tone uh, in this market trade. Fantastic, folks. Check that out, markettalk.ag. Jesse Allen, host of that program, thanks for jo joining me on the show today. You bet, Mike. Thanks so much. And folks, tune in tomorrow. As Jesse mentioned, we will be talking fertilizer. Kevin Kim of OCP North America will join us. These tariffs are impacting the production side of the industry as well. Kevin will give us an update on what he expects to see for fertilizer demand this spring. Thanks for tuning in to AOA, folks. We'll see you same time, same place right here for AOA tomorrow. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves. If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, Call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone.